So good. Hey, so welcome to Flatiron. So right now we have five campuses all linked together, uh, tens of thousands of people online, and let's all say hi to our brothers down at Lyman Prison who are joining us right now. Give it up for them. We don't ever want to forget about them. So good. Hey, let's jump into this. So, so in this series, we have been looking at some truths that God says is true for all people in all places, but specifically, we've been zeroing in on what it would look like for, for a man, uh, single, married, old, young, husband, father, leader, friend, right? What would it look like if that man were to begin to live out of the image that God has placed inside of him when God created him? And by, by live out of, here's what I mean, if a man really did believe and began to agree with what God said was true about him and is still true about him in spite of his mistakes and failures along the way. If a man believed and began to agree that what God said a man's purpose is and still is, even though it might have feel like in the past his purpose has been very, very different, and to begin to believe and agree and begin to take responsibility and pursue whatever actions that need to be pursued in his life from this point on. That's the theme around here. We can't change our past. All we have is from this point on, Right? But with Christ, it is possible to be forgiven and free from the condemnation of our past, and our future does not have to be condemned by our past in Christ. See, in Christ, a new kind of life is available to us, empowered by Christ living inside of us, and it's now possible for Christ. All things are possible, right? You believe that? So this series is not about beating anybody up for their past. Otherwise, we just all get beat up every day, all right? So, but, but for everyone, how about this? For everyone who's willing to, and here's the word, repent. I, know, I need to rethink how I think about everything in light of what Jesus has put in front of me and saying it's actually true. Then, then maybe my life as a man, a husband, a father, a boyfriend, a son, a friend, a leader, maybe I could experience what Jesus said is possible, a better life living with God inside of his kingdom in my everyday life, not after my funeral and I go somewhere else, all right? I'm talking about this life, this marriage, this family, these friendships, and continuing on into eternity. We're gonna talk about that more in a minute. And for the record, this kind of life is available to anybody, anybody, all right? Men, 10 to 110, that's all of you, I, I think. And women, 10 to 110, who are willing to do the same thing. Are you willing to rethink and reconsider what Jesus says is true about you, right, in your life? So we're going to do a quick re- review, then we're going to get into, this is, good, this is a good week to be here. I wrote it. I know what's coming, all right? So anyway, so I, I mean quick review, because we've covered a lot of material over the last two weeks, and, and a lot more in our Tuesday morning Bible study, men's Bible study. We have two more of those, 6.30 here at the, at, the, at the Lafayette campus. We had more men here either than this past week. Uh, we clogged up traffic all over the place, trucks everywhere. Uh, my, my, my son-in-law, Ben, says, and Kias. And I went, yes, <laughs> trucks and Kias. They were everywhere, right? And uh, and so we have two more of those. We've given over, away over 400 Bibles to the men of our church, which is just great. But, but I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be covering some of this stuff today that we covered this past Tuesday in men's Bible study. In men's Bible study, we're like, like today we're gonna be talking about something. I can get into it this much. This Tuesday, we're gonna get into it this deep, this deep, okay? So, all right, here's what we unpacked, all right? In week one, we unpacked the idea that both men and women are equally created in the image of God. Mean, and, and, and to fully get this, you gotta go back and listen to it, all right? But in summary, being created in the image of God means, well, look at this. This is where we get this out of Genesis chapter one. It says, you were, and I'm talking about all human beings, all right? You were created to be, you exist to be an incarnational, like in the flesh, expression of the character and nature of God. That's imaging God. And who's God? He's the king and ruler of the universe who commands you to rule over everything that he has created. That's why you exist, to take care of everything. 
See, the problem is with imaging God is that we can't all agree in, on, on what the image of God really is, especially when we, we sense or we learn that God says that certain things are right and true and good and lead to life, and we actually want something else to be right and true and good so we can go do something different. And then we're in a dilemma, and this is our life. The question is, do we submit ourselves to God and trust that he is good, that he does actually know more than us, he knows what is right and true and what works best in his world, and that his intentions for us are actually good, all right? Even if we might feel different in the moment or we don't understand how or why what he is saying is true and right or even possible for someone like us to actually be a reality of our life. I don't understand it, but I'm not willing to obey him. Or the way we said it last week goes like this, we want Jesus to be our savior. He want, we want to take away our condemnation, our sins, all right? But are we willing to make him our Lord and King? And, and he says, I, I need to come on board as both. And if the answer to that is no, I want to do something different than what God says is true, we, want, we don't want to just come out and say that. That sounds kind of rude, all right? So, so we, here's what we do. We do what people have done since the beginning of time. We simply, and we looked at this week one, we just exchange the truth of God for something else. The Bible says we exchange the truth of God for a lie and we reinvent a version of God that's more convenient, that allows us to do what we're gonna do anyway and not just, we don't just stop there. We reinvent a God who gets on board with what we wanna do and he calls it good. And now we can feel better about what we're gonna go and do anyway because my God just wants me to be happy. My God just wants me to feel good about myself. My God wants me to be whoever I want to be. That's my God. The problem with that kind of God, small g God, that we make up, that we create, is that he's not real. And when we need that God that we've created, when we want that God to be there for us, he won't be there for us. He can't be, for, be there for us because he's not real, which is why so many of us would say that my life with God or my spiritual life it doesn't have any power to it. It's not effective, it's not making a difference, it doesn't help. My version of God doesn't help at all. And the reason is because our God's not real, and he's not true. So that's what we covered the first week, and then last week, here's what we looked at. If we look at the concept that as image bearers of the creator and king of the universe, by the way, one of Jesus' titles was he, he's king of kings, that's a great title, all right? But as his image bearers, that makes us, um, each one created in his image to be Royalty, that's just logical. If, if he's king and we're creating his image, then we are kings and queens whom God shares his authority with to have dominion over whatever part of the kingdom that God has entrusted to you. Your life, your body, your family, your, the people in your life, whatever that is. And, and, and he's entrusted those, th those things to us in order to see that those things are fruitful and multiply, which means everything and everyone in your kingdom flourishes and grows into all that God has in mind for them. As king, you, this is what we talked about, we provide everything that they might need so they can flourish. And as king, we guard and protect the borders so that no enemy comes in and steals, kills, and destroys what God has entrusted to us as kings. So last week, we looked at the very first king, Adam. We're gonna look at him again today, all right? What he did and what he didn't do when an enemy, in this case, Satan, attacks his wife. And here's what, really, really, really quickly, if you didn't, weren't here, listen. Instead of listening to and obeying God, Adam listened to somebody else's voice and did something different. Instead of providing what his wife needed in that moment, Adam did, he was just silent. Maybe he was distracted, I don't know. Instead of protecting his wife from being attacked, Adam did nothing. He was right there watching it happen, and he was passive. And the consequences of listening to and obeying anything other than what God says is right and true, God always tells us right up front, it's always the same. It always goes to the same place. The most important parts of your life will die. Not, not today, 
not right away, but eventually, it starts moving that way. Inevitably, sin moves us in the direction of losing everything good that God wants us to have. A lot of us have experienced that the hard way, haven't we? Adam and Eve went from being described as, this would be great, naked and unashamed. A description of absolute intimacy between the two of them, as well as intimacy between the two of them and God. But after this, they, they ran from God, they hid from God, and then they turned on one another, and their life, and their life together, and their marriage was described for the rest of Genesis with words like this. You're gonna have a lot of pain, insecurity, it's gonna be about manipulation, domination, frustration, difficulty, always having to fight for anything good to happen because if you don't pay attention, it just falls apart. Anybody in life, right? Today, I, I wanna teach what God has to say. So this isn't flat on stand on or Jim's opinion on, right? Park that, all right? Listen, I wanna teach what God has to say about one of the parts of our lives where sin has and is constantly attacking probably more than any other single area of our life. And the consequences have destroyed more of us individually and relationally than any other part of our life. And today we're gonna, we're gonna talk about sex, okay? Now, okay, amen. All right, uh, so I always say this. This is, a, this is a middle school and up room. So if you don't wanna have a weird conversation with your kids in the car, run to kids ministry right now. And, uh, uh, but I'm not gonna get graphic. I'm not gonna get crude. Tuesday, I'm gonna get really graphic in our men's Bible study, and, uh, but not crude. Oh, time out here. So this is in my notes. So in our Tuesday morning Bible study, I told the men of our church they need to order this book called The Death of Porn, right? I also said, let your wife know you ordered and they, you didn't. And you came downstairs, two men came to me, I came downstairs, my wife's like, we need to talk, all right? And it's like, hey ladies, I told them to order it because if, if they don't have a struggle with porn, a man in their life does, and it's a great book for them to read with their sons and daughters. Okay, so order it, The Death of Porn. And ladies, you should read it too. You should read it all, everybody should read that. And I don't get a cut off of it. Oh, I should have asked for it. Anyway, so, so, <laughs> so now here, here's the world we live in right now when it comes to sexuality and the choices of how, when, where, and with who sex is gonna be played out with in our, in our lives, okay? And here's what I mean. Every movie you've watched this week Every commercial, every advertisement, every TV show, every song that you watched or listened to told you that this is the map to sexual happiness and fulfillment, okay? And it's always the same. A version of this goes like this. First of all, this should sound familiar, you gotta look inside yourself. Look in, look inside your heart. What do you feel is right for you? What do you want for you? What do you desire to run after? You have to be true to yourself. This is where all love, all sex has to start. What do I want for me? Okay, followed by this, look out. Surround yourself with people who will agree with you. All right, and if, and if they don't agree with you, then they're hateful and run away from them, okay? Make sure that people affirm you, participate with you, support and defend you, right, right or wrong, they should, just, they should support any choice that you want. Followed by this, sometimes then we do this, we look up, we invent a version of a loving God who, who only wants you to be happy, that's his greatest desire for you, and agrees and supports and even blesses your choices because you need some spirituality in whatever choices you make to, to feel better about it. So I look inside and then I look out and then I get God to put Jesus fairy dust on it and move on. That's what, right, right, so. But as followers of Jesus, what we wanna do is we wanna image what the real true God had in mind in all areas of our life, including sexuality, so to do that, we have to actually reverse that map. Right, it goes more like this. We start, and this is what we're gonna do today, we're gonna look up. What does God say is true, and what did he design sex to do and accomplish, and not do, and not accomplish, right? Followed by this, we look out. 
What did God intend sex to mean, to mean between you and this other person? Okay, it's not just about me. It's about us. That's where we're gonna go today. Followed by this. And then you look in. What would it mean for you to image God as both a spiritual and a sexual person? Because that's what we all are. See, this is crazy, right? And I was a youth pastor for years, and I just said, trying to explain this to kids. Sex was God's idea. Amen. I got an amen down here, right? So, I mean, you think about it. He could have done it any way he wanted. And he thought up sex, all right? And I, I don't know. I, this is just me, all right? I think when he explained to the angels what he was about to do, they were like, really? They'd be into that? He's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Sex is neato. It's cool. When, when, it's, when it's working, I said neato. When it's working the way it's supposed to. And right here is where typically... I, whenever I teach about different parts of life, this is one of those times where I go, let me give you a personal story. <laughs> but every time I went, I went to my wife, Robin, I go, hey, can I tell them about that time? Nope. <laughs> How about that time in Costa Rica? Nope. It was, uh, <laughs> How about that time when you went crazy? You know, and then Jim Bergen, and let me tell you this, anytime your wife, write this down, guys. Anytime your wife loses your first and last name, stop talking. <laughs> You're done. You, you lose. And Jim Bergen, you are right. So I can't share any personal stories, but I'd like to get some stuff off my chest. All right? I'd like to clear some stuff up like this. And it happened to me earlier this week, all right? Like the next time you hear a song on the radio saying something like, we made love all night long, that's not true. It's not true, all right? It's physically impossible, and if you were to try it, one of you is going to the chiropractor, and the other is going to the ER with a UTI. I'm just telling you. <laughs> all night long, all right? So that's Hollywood, man, right? Nobody's ever written a true song about, we, we may love all 90 seconds of the, com the commercial break. I mean, <laughs> or the football timeout. Two-minute warning, I'll give you that, but it was like... It was, doesn't make a good song, though. It's real. Raw and real here. All right. How about this? All right. This is, I'm just going to air it here. We made love by candlelight. <laughs> Sounds great. Don't do it. Right? It's all great until your foot shoots off the side of the bed and your foot gets covered in second degree burns with candle wax and gets candle wax all over the... This is hypothetical. Right? All over the floor. <laughs> And then you spend the next week trying to get red wax out of there and you look up at your wife going, remember that time I was on fire? And she goes, no, 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 you were crazy. You got a seizure. I went, yeah, I love you so much. You give me a seizure. I mean, it's like, but I'm not allowed to talk about that. <laughs> She's watching from home. I love you, all right? Um, so you gotta break the ice when you talk about stuff like that because it's just so painful and awkward, right? right? So, but before we jump into this teaching, let me just define some terms and clear some stuff up. This is really, really, really important. Very important, okay? This is more important than anything I'm gonna talk about in terms of sex, all right? What we're gonna be talking about today isn't so much a matter of if you do this right, you'll go to heaven, and if you do it wrong, you'll go to hell. There are very few things that we can talk about like that, right? And here's what I mean by that. I'll give you an example. Last week, um, our social media department posted a clip from my first talk from two weeks, two weeks ago where I made a statement um, where, where it says this, that God can never get on board with flippant divorce and same-sex marriage because it doesn't align with what he designed marriage to be. And out of context, without what was come, said next, that, 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 that soundbite came across as very mean and judgmental. And I agree, it did, all right? And here came the comments. Wow, not a couple, 
I mean, a couple hundred, all right, from all kinds of people, all right? Just what I thought. Flatirons hates gay people, and they're saying that all gay people are gonna go to hell. Let me just get, clear this up. That's ludicrous. I, ne- I never would say something like that because it's not true. For me to say all gay people are going to hell would be like me saying all straight people are going to heaven, and we know that's not true, <laughs> right? Right there, right, 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 so... So let me just clear something up, much bigger than whatever sex thing you might have going on in your life, and here it is. Here's who's going to heaven, and here's who's going to hell, right? The self-righteous are going to hell. Meaning anyone who's trusting in their own goodness or their own attempts at living a good moral life, thinking somehow my own efforts will somehow earn my way into heaven if I'm good enough or I'm better than most people. We cannot earn our way into heaven. Right? Anyone, let me, let me tell you who's going to heaven. Anyone who has abandoned trust in their own righteousness and goodness and is now trusting that by faith they are totally dependent upon God transferring them, the Bible word is imputing the righteousness of Jesus onto them when Jesus became their sin on that cross. That's who's going to heaven. The only, I'm gonna speak for all saved people. The only reason any of us are gonna go to heaven is because my sin was transferred to Jesus and Jesus' righteousness was transferred to me by grace through faith. That's true, okay? Now, your, listen, listen, because I want, I want everybody here, right? Your sexuality, homosexual or heterosexual, is not the determining factor of where you end up after you die. Your relationship and your level of trust in Jesus Christ as both your Savior and Lord, that's what it all depends on. But it cannot be separated or connected from how you choose to view and pursue how you live out your life sexually. Notice not how I said how you feel about it, but how you choose to view and pursue what God designed and defined sexuality to do and be in spite of how you feel. And that's where it's tough. So while sexuality is definitely connected to and symptomatic of your level of trust in God, while it's not the litmus test of who goes to hell and who goes to heaven, what we do find over and over in God's word is that how we choose to pursue sex, gay or straight, listen, is one of the things that will determine our participation in the kingdom of God. It's not about heaven or hell. It's about great connection with God. So please, I wanna go on record. So please get this soundbite and broadcast it out, okay? I want all people here, I want all people here who say, I, I don't... I got this part of my life broken. I want this part of my life gay, straight. I, 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 it doesn't matter. I'm telling you, the only thing I want you to come looking for is I need Jesus in my life. I need his righteousness in my life. And if anything needs to change, that's between the two of us. Can I have a safe place to work that out? Welcome to Flatirons. Come on. I will say this. Heterosexuals have done much more to the dam- damage to the institution of marriage than the gay community has. So we've got... We've got to become more compassionate people and stop throwing stones at one another. All right, we have to. Because Jesus had the right to throw a stone and he laid it down. It's not about being right or wrong. It's about being loving. Right? Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, so let's talk about this kingdom of God. Whenever Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, when are we gonna talk about the sex? Shut up, listen. All right, so... (laughs) Whenever Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, he wasn't talking about really what happens after you die. But when Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, he was talking about living an intimate, and we call it a with God kind of life, in this life. Not after your funeral somewhere, right? You and God working together because you want the same things done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? In this marriage, in this friendship, in this family, with this son and with this daughter. So, so when you read or you hear Jesus say kingdom of God, I want you to think living in intimacy and connection with God, starting right here in this life and then continuing on forever. That's what he wants for us. All that to go to say this, aligning or not aligning your sexual life with what Jesus defines as right and true will be, in my experience, 
one of the most determining factors in you experiencing intimacy with God and with another person, meaning this, if God is the center of your life and running after God is the center of your life and you choose to align your sex life with God, intimacy with God and with the other person will be good and get better. But if you choose to pursue a different version or definition of sex, then God will be pushed to the outskirts of your life. And what you won't see in the moment, because in the moment you're in love, but what will happen is, so will the other person in your life. Because when God is not the center of your life, it means that you are the center of your life, and that never goes well. Okay, let's talk about sex. So let, let's look at, the, at two very different views of sex, and then we'll look at God's definition of, or view of sex, and then you can walk out of here and decide which one you think leads to a better life for you kind of life you really want, okay? So view number one, we're gonna be in a book of the Bible called 1 Corinthians, written by a guy named Paul to some people living in a town called Corinth. And again, there are tons of Bibles in the back and they, we got bigger print because I can't read this even here. All right, so, all right, so. But, but anyway, so we're gonna read it off the screens right now, but grab a Bible on the way home and, and, and read through this on, on your own. So this is Paul. He's talking, here's view number one of how the world views sex. It goes like this. He says, all things are lawful. All things are legal for me. It's not against the law. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. So view number one goes like this. Sex goes into the same category of, oh, if it's not against the law and it doesn't hurt anybody, if it's consensual, just do it. Go for it. It doesn't mean anything. Followed by, because sex is just like a natural appetite. If you're hungry, eat. If you feel sexy, have sex. It's just that, right? And this reflects a, a really common Greek philosophy back then that a lot of Christians who are new to Christianity held on to, and what a lot of us today still hold on to, it goes like this. What we believe in our hearts and what we believe in our heads, both physically and sexually, have nothing to do with each other. My faith system and what I do with my body are unconnected to one another. And Paul goes, no, it's not true. So, all right, so time out. So I'm in the process right now. I want to get some more t tattoos. So I've been doing research on ink, all right? And I keep, don't judge me, I don't care. All right, so anyway, so, so I keep coming, as I'm looking at all these tattoos and stuff like that, I keep coming to this common saying that a lot of people have inked on them, and I'm not against it. I, I may, totally makes sense. But it's this saying, and maybe you have that, this one, right? Only God can judge me. Anybody seen that one? Of course we have, right, right, right. And the underlying message there is this. You don't have a right to judge what I'm doing. You, can, you don't have a right to judge my actions because God really knows what's going on in my heart. So you can judge what you, where you want, but God knows the truth about me. And what Paul's saying this is like, um, listen, I agree. I agree. He ends this little, it's not against the law, it's just an appetite by agreeing. He says, yeah, God knows what's going on in your heart and in your body, Right? sexually and spiritually, and they're connected. And God knows what's really going on, and he will judge it. Paul goes on and he says this, the body, I love, listen, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, we'll talk about this, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body, and God raised up the Lord, and will also raise us up by his power. So Paul calls us out, he says, hey, your body is not meant for sexual immorality, and the word immorality is the Greek word porneo, from which we get the word pornography, but please don't reduce pornography down to something, some image on a screen or in some magazine. Here is the biblical definition of porneo, or pornography, it goes like this. It includes any and all sexual activity outside of the pursuit of personal, spiritual, and relational intimacy, or oneness, between a husband and a 
a wife in the context of marriage. If it's not that, it's off limits. And the room went silent. Oh, crap. Right. That's not what God meant the body or sexuality to be used for. Here's where it gets weird. So what's the body to be used for? The Lord. It sounds really weird. My body's pursuit of sexual expression, the end game is Jesus. Yeah, and Jesus is for it. Hang on to that. We will unpack that more in, in just a minute, okay? So that's view number one, okay? View number two, go down a little bit to chapter seven, all right? And Paul's answering a question that somebody wrote him about, all right? He says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, and here's what they wrote, it is good for a man to not have sexual relations with a woman. That's what they wrote. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. So apparently, somebody, this new Christian in, in the church there in that little town of Corinth, had written a letter to Paul asking him to comment on the conclusion they had come to about sex, that sex was something that was either nasty and bad and ought to be avoided altogether, even if you're married, or something that had to be like endured because you had to make babies or some kind of obligation that you had to put up with so your weaker partner wouldn't fall into sexual temptation and sin. But if you were really spiritual, either, neither one of you would even think about that, desire that, or wanna have sex. That's the actual question was asked to Paul, right? So Paul answers the letter. He says, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. And I read that and went, that sounds really sterile. Very contractual, like, so... We have to do that, right, right, right? So I did a word study on it, and I came up with a better translation. This is better, right? The husband should deliver and serve to his wife the sexual pleasure she is owed, and likewise, the wife should deliver and serve to her husband the sexual pleasure that he is owed. <laughs> Amen, all right? And I thought, that sounds so much better than, I don't know, I don't want to, but it's in the contract, come on, Let's, right, right? But here's the, part, here's the part that blew people away, both men and women, and what Paul writes next, okay? And this is gonna blow some of you all the way too. He says this, now here's why I can say that. For the wife does not have authority over her own body. You, you can't say that anymore. I'm not, Paul is, all right? The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Hold on, ladies. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Paul is writing to people who live in a culture where men have all the rights and women were just one step above poverty and they had no say in what was going on in their life, especially when it comes to the sexual part of their marriage. And Paul says, hey, that's how most of the world might operate, but not in Christ church. Not, not when you join yourself to Christ. The, no, not when you have a marriage that's supposed to image God. Her body belongs to you, dude, and husband, your body belongs to her. And neither of you gets to operate in isolation from one another or in selfish demands. I don't know where I end and Robin starts. We're just, just one thing. Why? Why is this so important for us to get our, kind of our, our heads around? Let's go back to what we covered during the first two weeks back at creation, which later, when Jesus is asked a question, hey, Jesus, when can we divorce our wives or whatever that is? And Jesus quotes Genesis chapter two. He says this, all right? Jesus answered, have you not read, Genesis two, that he who, God who created them from the beginning, we've covered all this, made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become, what's the word? One, it's really important, one flesh. So they are no longer two, but what? One flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate, right? So quick review, right? Here's view number one. Sex is a physical appetite, just needs to be satisfied. View number two, sex is just a physical act that's to be avoided or simply tolerated. 
sounds like, both just sounds like horrible relationships. But Paul is teaching that God intended and designed sex to be so much more, so much better than that. What, 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 is, what is Paul teaching us? It's this. Sex is the imaging of two people becoming what? One. One new thing. Forever. For better or worse. Right? Look, look, look at this. He says this. Do you not know, and that's the way he's going, come on, you know this. You know that your bodies, this flesh, right? Your bodies are members of Christ. And Paul says, hey, wait, time out, remember. And he's talking to Christians. Hey, Christians, remember when you put your faith in Christ? And now you are a part of Christ. All the parts of your life are a part of Christ. And Christ is in you, your heart, your soul, your mind, your body. They're all members and parts of Christ. If that's true, then your physical body belongs to Christ. I mean, you probably haven't thought about that. It's like, I know this is my body. Your physical body belongs to Christ. And Paul says this question. Shall I take the members of Christ, my body, and make them members of, like, I don't know, a prostitute? And he goes, No. No, or do you not know, again, you know, that he who is joined to to a prostitute becomes one with her, one body with her. There it is again. For as it is written in Genesis 2, the two will become what? One flesh. So so he says, you're a part of Christ. Question, is it it okay for you as a part of Christ, even casually, to join yourself as some stranger? For cash, you're the stranger. I don't have a relationship with it. It's just this, this thing I wanted to do. Is it okay to do that? And call it, it's no big deal. It doesn't mean anything. It's just sex. I got hungry. I had a, I had a bite to eat. Paul goes, no, you're missing the point. Because what you're calling no big deal is causing something. This is We miss all. You don't hear this in your culture, right? It's causing something new to be formed that is permanent and can't be undone. You become something different. You become one. And the word flesh, one flesh, is the Greek word sarx. And it doesn't just mean your physical body. Sarx actually means your personhood, meaning this, is that when you join yourself to another person, the two become one new person. Robin and I are not two people. We are one new person forever. That's what marriage is meant and sex is meant to image. Something new has been created. Nobody in our culture is saying that. That's what God was thinking. And then we're out of time, okay? Now, so this Tuesday, we're gonna get into like the deeper causes of what causes sexual brokenness in our lives. But bottom line, let me say this, all right? I got more to teach you, all right? So bottom line, just like any other thing in your life, Sexual sin and brokenness can be traced back to the same root cause as any other broken part of your life. It's no different. I know what God says is right and true. I just wanna do something different. I want something else to be true for me. And sexuality that thrives and flourishes will be indirect portion to your willingness to align that part of your life with God's truth. So I wanna leave you with a higher definition of sex than you might have ever even considered before for yourself or just in general. I remember a couple of years ago, I was sitting and talking to our college pastor, and he was saying, hey, hey, I'm gonna teach on sex you know, tomorrow night, and so I'm going with, hey, hey, you should wait till you're married to have sex because you, know, you might get pregnant and ruin your life, and you might have to make a decision about abortion, all that kind of stuff, or you might get an STD or something like that. I went, that's, that's, that's a horrible reason to not have sex, right? Because nobody thinks it's gonna happen to them. I won't, I won't get sick, I won't get pregnant, I won't worry, I, yeah, famous last words. I said, but you gotta think higher, you gotta have a higher vision of yourself and what you're imaging and what sex is meant to image. So I'm gonna give you the highest one I can. In the Bible, I can only find one other example where the person taking in or taking on the flesh of another person results in a new creation. 
and it's, it's way up here. A, a new thing is created, a covenant that lasts forever is created when we do this, and this is it, and it's Jesus talking. He says, and he took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my what? It's my body, I'm giving my body to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant. It's a spiritual agreement that lasts for eternity in my blood. So what, what is Jesus saying? He's saying that when a person joins himself, enters into a new covenant with God, an intimate relationship with God, becomes a new creation in Christ, it's only made possible by trusting in what Jesus did for them on that cross. When his flesh and when his blood was broken and poured out for you, he gave himself to you holy. And Jesus is saying the sacrament of communion, the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine are given to you to remember that you are hidden in Christ. In Christ and you are one inseparable new thing. And nothing can, nothing can separate you. You want a higher view of sex, the kind of sex that God had in mind? How, how about this? The sacrament of sex, I mean that word, the sacrament of sex is to marriage what the sacrament of communion is to Christianity. Sex isn't marriage, communion is not Christianity. But they are both given to us as a reminder that you are not on your own, that you're a whole new person in Christ and with her. So what's the application of all this? Simple, uh, not easy. I mean, it might be super difficult, right? But, but simple, it goes like this. If whatever is happening in your sex life as a married person or a single person, if it doesn't reflect or image what God had in mind for covenant intimacy and permanent oneness, my question is, what would you need to surrender? That's a hard word, nobody wants to surrender anything. But what would you have to lay down and surrender to God for that part of your life to come in line with what God says is true? Followed by, and are you willing to do that? And I don't, I don't know what that, that is for you. I don't know your life. I do, I do know this. Nothing that really needs to change in your life will ever change on your own without Christ or it already would have. So before we talk about anything needed to change in any area of your life, it has to start with trusting Jesus as both your savior, your forgiver, and your Lord, your king. And then from the inside out, Jesus will show you and empower you and he'll change what needs to be changed. But without him on your own, nothing's gonna change. I'm, I'm, I'm done, so, here, here's like, so here's what I ask all of our staffs at all of our campuses to do. Um, sometimes we serve communion and we pass it out, and like, we haven't done that in, in, in a while, but in the back of all of our campuses, they're out in the lobbies, right, there's a table set up there that has a little cup of juice in it and a little piece of bread. And I don't, you don't have to do this here. Here's what I recommend. On your way out today, and if you're watching online, you can just run to, run to the grocery store and buy some grape juice and hard bread, right? I don't know. Um, on your way out today, pick one of those cups up and then maybe later tonight, by yourself or even better with the person that you love, you, you, I'm setting you up for a great, a really great thing. You open that up and go, this is the bread that Jesus, this is his flesh that was broken for me and my sin can't separate us. And my mistakes can't separate us. And this is the blood that was poured out as a covenant, as a promise, is that he's not going anywhere. He'll never leave me. And that's what your marriage is supposed to be running after. 
And just for the record, for all of us who have gone through breakups and divorce and stuff like that, there is no condemnation in Christ. You take this and go, I'm still good because I still got Christ. My worth is not based on my marriage. My worth is based in Christ. So on your way out, grab that cup. God is so gracious. He gives us all these communion or all these symbols like, like communion. Communion is not Christianity, but it reminds us of this, right? Um, this, this doesn't make me married, but I just remember July 7th, 1984. She put this on my hand. This, this doesn't make me a good man, right? And we're gonna re-up this in two weeks, guys, just so you know. Um, it reminds me I want to be, right? You follow me? Um, we have a great symbol next week. And it's not for Jesus' sake, it's for yours. It's called baptism. Next week, we're gonna, we're gonna have baptism weekend at all of our campuses. And I've already heard people are flying in from all over the country. It's just nuts, all right? But so he, baptism doesn't make you a Christian. But Jesus does say, when you come to a point in your life, so all of us that were baptized as Catholics, I'm not slamming that at all, okay? But Jesus thought there's a time when you say, I wanna own my faith. I'm gonna take on my faith. And at that moment, repent rethink your life, and then be baptized. This is what's so beautiful about, about baptism, all right? It's so symbolic, meaning this. It's like, so I am crucified with Christ. So all my sin, it goes down into that grave with Christ. He dies, he became my sin. And then God resurrected him from the dead, but my sin stayed dead. My condemnation is gone. And now I'm washed. Jesus actually said it's like being born again. That's, he's the one that came up with that phrase, all right? And now I am resurrected to a new life from above with him forever. I'm gonna go back to last week. Hey, men, husbands, boyfriends, fathers, leaders go first. Lead your family. Lead your relationship. Lead the way down here. Be baptized and then baptize your family. This is what kings do, right? Um, this is overwhelming, isn't it? It's like, this is too much. This is like, I, I can't, I, right, which is why, when Jesus tells us to do, for the record, Jesus never asks you to do anything because he's a king. Kings don't ask, they command, right? Repent and be baptized. Take up your cross, follow me, right? So whatever Jesus commands you to do, I'm talking to men and women right now, okay? Um, he will not command you to do it unless he also says, and I'll go with you. And I'll walk with you and I'll do it with you. I'm not asking you to do anything on your own. That would be suicide. Don't try to do anything. Don't try to change your marriage without me, Jesus says. Don't try to change your addictions without me, Jesus says. Don't try to fix your life without me, Jesus says. But with me, all things are possible. Right? It's not too late. It's not too late for us. Anybody, anybody grateful for that? Um, we're gonna sing this song at all of our campuses right now. It's great. It is, it's we're singing to God and saying this, you are my champion. I don't know if you feel like anybody's on your side. Sometimes I feel like I am all alone and I'm the only one trying to hold crap together and nobody understands or whatever. And then we're gonna sing this song that says, no, you are my champion. You give me strength and I'm just done. When nobody else cares, he's right there with me. Anybody ever feel like that? Then make this your song. Let's stand up at all of our campuses and online in your living room, stand up. All right? and, uh, 
So God, in this moment right now, in the silence of this moment, in the holiness of this moment, where we just feel like we just got hit with a tsunami of, I don't think I could ever get there. I've screwed up too much. My life is a mess in the past. Um, I, I don't know how to get back to zero, let alone into the kingdom of God. And all you say to us, Jesus, is just come as you are, and we'll start there. Bring, bring all your junk, bring all your shame, bring all your brokenness, bring all your mistakes, lay them at the feet of Jesus. Bring, your, bring me your sexuality, lay it at my feet. Bring me your greed, bring me your selfishness, lay it at my feet. And then we'll stand up together and we'll start to walk together. And God, you give us a marker called baptism going first step, I got baptized. My second step, I don't even worry about that, but Jesus will show me what it is when I get there. Jesus, you are a champion. That's why we worship you. In your name we pray and we worship. Amen.